We'll begin our reading at the 22nd verse. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. All my state shall... Tychus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. I'd like to conclude here at verse 8. If we consider all of the greatest feats ever accomplished there would be few of them, or maybe I would say the other way, most often they were fueled with passion. If we think of any great art or books or any music that's written, the composers, the any great architecture, um, these were typically fueled with a great passion of the artist or the author or the architect. Perhaps maybe a little bit less obvious is that passion is probably the most important ingredient to be a great parent or a great student or a great employee. If we think here of the the scripture that we began together, verse 22, talking about servants obeying in all things your master according to the flesh. If we consider the place that passion has in order for us to accomplish this, there is a significant relationship between the two. We may be able to even say that passion is the fuel that helps us get up in the morning, that gives us the motivation to be able to want to make a difference in the day that is ahead. The opposite of that is when we lack passion, when we're lethargic, when we really don't care about the things that are going around about us, we really don't have the energy or the creativity to unleash that, to unlock that potential that God has placed in every one of our hearts. And God has created us with that, with that passion. And, and as we look at the scripture, as it's addressed here to servants to obey your masters according to the flesh, that is, in, in, in modern day way, we would say this is uh, an address to those who are employees, those who are under the 
um, authority of the employer. And it says, not with eye service as men pleasers. Not just when the employer or the boss is looking that we try to do a good job, but it says, in singleness of heart, fearing God. In sincerity of heart. Some years ago, I was privileged uh, privileged to travel many different countries, third world countries, and in one in particular that I uh, was traveling in, the roads were of very poor they were not maintained at all. It was very difficult to drive over these roads. You needed to have a four-by-four to drive across between towns. And as we came around the corner, I noticed that uh, there was a, a group of locals that were working on the road. They had their uh, shovels and they had some rakes, and they were busily trying to fill in some of the gaps and the bumps and taking the big rocks out. And as we drove by... The driver threw out some coins to the people that were working there, the men and some of the young men that were there, and we continued on into town. By the end of the day, we were there the entire day on our way back. We came back, we came around that same corner, and the group was still there. And they were busily raking, and I noticed there hadn't been any progress that I could see. And so as we drove by, I sort of turned to the driver and asked, that's very odd. It looks like they've been here all day long, and yet we can't even tell a difference of what they've done. And he sort of laughed, and he said, well, that's because as soon as we drive around the corner and we're gone, they all sit down and just visit, and they wait for the next car to come by because their purpose is not really to fix the road. They're there just to portray the image that they're busy fixing the road so that every once in a while when a car does come by, and it's not very often, what they're hoping for is a handout. In a sense, they're just trying to please the driver coming by because the roads really beat up the cars, and so the driver, out of gratitude, will feed them some or throw them some some coins. And that's kind of how they um, gather money. So they're not really interested in fixing the road. And I had to think of this uh, scripture here. It's talking about eye service in the sense of just to look good. And I don't understand all the dynamics there, what's going on, but it just struck me in that sense that that's an easy way to demonstrate that just looking to please when someone is looking, but otherwise have no interest whatsoever in the task at hand. They clearly had a lack of passion for the job. And we've probably experienced that ourselves at times when um, we uh, have had a lack of passion to really do what we needed to do in our t- in terms of employment, or especially those of us that are parents. It becomes very apparent when our children have a lack of passion when they're assigned a task and how difficult it is for them to carry out something that would otherwise be very simple if only they had a mind to do it. It's a lot easier to teach the skills and techniques uh, to be able to do a job than it is to teach the passion to carry out the job with. And often when someone is interviewing for a job, 
One of the skills that those who are on the hiring committee will look at is how can we tell that this person has passion, has the drive to be able to go and following the, 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 the words of John the Baptist where he instructed the soldiers to go the second mile because that is far more valuable than most skill sets. Because somebody who has the passion, somebody who has the drive, will be able to pick up those skill sets and then be able to accomplish far more than someone who may be more knowledgeable or maybe came with additional skill sets and yet lacks the energy or the passion to apply it to the tasks at hand. And this lack of passion is not just as an employee, but it could be a lack of passion in whatever task that we're carrying out in school or at, at our place at, at home. And if you're a young man or young woman still living at home, the scripture here is also speaking to you about you are under the authority of your parents, that you are to carry out the tasks that they assign to you with passion with a desire rather than just complaining or looking for excuses or just trying to do the bare minimum or looking the other way and how come this sibling isn't doing it or that sibling isn't doing it because our human makeup will always find excuses excuses to think of why we're justified not to carry out the task at hand in the way the scripture says, where it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I could translate that word heartily as do it with passion. And whatsoever you do, do it with passion as to the Lord and not unto men. And if we have that mindset that really the task that we are undertaking is ultimately for the Lord himself, then the degree of responsibility or the seriousness that we undertake the task is makes it easier to do it with passion. If we look at James, the Apostle James, the first chapter, the ver- first verse, he introduces himself. He says, James... A servant of the Lord. And so we're not only servants in the sense of servants as employees, but all of us who serve God are servants of the Lord. And one of the difficulties that we have is that sometimes we don't have the necessary passion to carry out the work of the Lord. It's far easier in our day and age, in this time that we live in, to be passionate about all kinds of other things, to be passionate about our careers, to be passionate about our education, to be passionate about our homes, to make sure we have the latest or or something that's better than what we have now and pouring our energy and our passion into that or pouring our passion into our, our leisure time, whatever that fills out. And that can be defined in many different ways. And we see around us a country that is very passionate about all kinds of different things. 
And as I understand it, later on this afternoon, there will be a group of people that will get together that are very passionate as they watch the Super Bowl. And there are many other things that could be filled in that are taking, that are calling for our attention, or calling for our, for our focus. And what happens if we don't have the right balance and the right filter and the right, uh, as Brother Ed preached this morning, uh, being intentional about the things that are most important, the things that are right, then we will find that we don't have a lot of energy left, a lot of passion left to really give it to the ministry that God has prepared for us, or prepared us for, maybe is a better way to say that. In general, you'd say probably in any given group of people, there's probably a, there's a certain percentage, and I'm just going to say half, not because I have any scientific uh, backup of data, but certainly a portion, and we'll just say it's half, half will find not enough energy or passion for God's work. And of course, sometimes that happens in a season of life where we may be not feeling well, we may be dealing with some other difficulty in life, or we have a young family and it's taking up all of our energy, that uh, going from morning till night, and that is a ministry in and of itself. But at times, we focus, and we need to focus, on the tasks at hand, and we have others that minister to us during that time. In a sense, we're in a period of time where we're takers. In other words, there are more people ministering to us, either individually or as a family, than we are able to minister to others. And that's okay. That's how God has designed the body of Christ that there are times where we will need that. But that should only be for a season of life or times and seasons for that. That should not be a perpetual state. Instead, perhaps the other, the other half are those that maybe we may, we may uh, use the term, they're givers. They're the ones that are quick to sign up for something, There's a need that comes up, and they're the first ones in line to help out. They're the ones that are constantly giving and giving, and they receive joy from doing that. The scripture here is encouraging us that whatsoever we do, to do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so if you find yourself... In the first group of people, and it's not just a season, you've been sort of sitting on the sidelines for a long time, wondering, what is really my purpose? What is my ministry? What I, how, how can I become a giver? The first step to that is to recognize and ask the Lord to open up opportunities so that you may Work heartily as to the Lord. And if you find yourself maybe on the giving side, at times 
those that are in that camp sometimes perhaps jump too quickly to not allow those who may not be as, as, um, as quickly, as, as quick to notice something that needs to be done, that perhaps we need to take a step back in those seasons of life to allow others to also contribute. Because God never designed it to be that, to be a small segment of the body of Christ, that they're the ones that are constantly giving and the others taking, but rather that it would be in equality between the two. And that all of us will find ourselves in either camp from time to time. But either extreme leads to a lack of passion. And it doesn't happen right away. Those of you that have had a, a helium balloon will have noticed that if you buy a balloon, it'll be able to levitate quite strongly when you first purchase it. But you leave it overnight, you'll notice that it's just barely able to stay up. And within the course of 24 hours, depending on the quality of the rubber in the balloon, the higher the quality, the longer it'll be able to maintain the helium. But the cheaper the quality of the rubber, the helium will escape and will be replaced by oxygen. And eventually it will lose its power to levitate. And in a sense, that can happen to our passion as well. We may start out very passionate, especially when we first give our life to the Lord. The newness of it is exciting and wonderful, and we want to be involved, etc. But unless we have a plan to maintain our passion, we will find ourselves like that helium balloon. Over time, our passion, in a sense, will leak away. And that happens on two extremes. You see, those who are naturally more givers, and if they're, they're constantly pouring themselves into the, the tasks at hand, if it's unbalanced, eventually they wear themselves out. And that, in a sense, you've lost your passion because it's just too much. Or those who are on the other extreme, who are perhaps more, um, more takers or more lethargic by nature, That extreme, you just don't have the motivation to do anything. Tomorrow is another day. Next week we can do it. Next month, there's really no sense of urgency. And that, that attitude just continues to breed further lethargy. And it's hard to get out of that. And so neither extreme is a good place to be. But we cannot just manufacture our passion. Jesus, back in when he was in his ministry, there was a time where in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, we read that there was a debate that was going on between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the scripture says that uh, 
When the Pharisees had heard, this is started at Matthew 22, the 34th verse, is when, when the Pharisees had heard that he, being Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Now you have to realize the dynamics that are going on here. The Pharisees and Sadducees, two different groups. They saw things quite differently. In a sense, they were jousting for position. And they felt good when they saw Jesus put the Sadducees in their place, because he had just finished talking to them about the resurrection of the dead, and he had given them a response that they were speechless. And the Pharisees are, ah, great, you put them to shame. Now let's show how wise we are. So they come up, they says, then one of them, that is that in the Pharisees, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. So this is the purpose. This lawyer from the Pharisees was not coming to him because he had a genuine question. He's coming to him with a riddle. He's like, oh, I'm going to get Jesus. I'm going to trap him now. And this is his question. He says, then one of them, sorry, um, master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Evidently, there had been lots of discussion about this, because you go in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of laws. And you would have different factions that would say, this is the most important. This set of laws is far more important, and we are the holy ones because we're keeping to these set of laws. And then you have another faction over here that says, no, 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 those aren't that important. Yes, they're laws, but these are the ones that are more important, and we're more holy than this group over here. And you have these factions going on, and... No different than today. These same factions exist and have existed since the beginning of time. Why? Because in our humanness, we look for the things that are most naturally appealing to us. And we gravitate towards those things. But Jesus was not trapped by that question. He didn't even pause as he gave the answer because they're worth Two commandments that were far more important than everything else. And this is what he said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. There is nothing greater than that. In other words, Jesus was saying we need to love God with all our passion, with all our being. Everything else stems from that. And if we don't start with that, if we start it in reverse, if we start with our passion to do good things, start with our passion to help other people, those are all wonderful, but without loving God with all of our hearts, that passion will not last. It will eventually be like that helium balloon. Oh, some will last longer than others. Some could go on for many years in a certain pattern of good works and doing wonderful things. But without that passion of loving God, eventually there comes an end of the road. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not typically a cliff. It's usually a gradual decline. And eventually we run out of steam. We run out of energy. Because the source of that passion, the source of that energy, is really God himself. He never designed us to be like the um, proverbial energizer bunny that essentially never runs out of energy. We are to be connected to the source, the, the energy source himself, God himself. And it doesn't have to do anything with our age 
or with our talent. There are some that are very passionate, even in that I have met and I have talked to that are in their 90s, all the way down to those that are passionate even before they reach the age of 10 years old. And you can see the, the difference that it makes when somebody has that desire. But everything in life conspires to sap that passion from us. I don't think it's necessarily a giant conspiracy that the world desires to sap that passion. I believe the enemy, Satan himself, orchestrates things to draw us, draw our attention away from the, from the things that are most important. But just generally, life itself. And I think the uh, the way Jesus summarized this in, in Matthew, the, um, the 13th chapter, where he said, where he's talking about the, uh, the parable about the seed, the sower and the seed. And he describes this one condition of the heart that I think all of us can identify with. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. See, this seed was not a dud. This seed actually germinated and started to grow. But what happened was what we will use today, the terminology, death by a thousand cuts. In this case, it would be death by a thousand thorns. It was choked out. And it could no longer get the energy from the sun because there's too many other things that were competing for that energy that it would receive from the sun. And this is the life and the time that we live in. We have a thousand things competing for our attention that then harms or dissipates our passion, our passion for God, our passion for ministry. We read on in the verses together in Colossians 3 that we said, um, it says, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons, saying God is not a respecter of persons. That's one of the things that actively kills our passion is when we do things that are wrong. Now, this wrong is not just talking about a general category of sinfulness. Well, that too will have that impact. If we think of the the context of this chapter, the previous verses which we didn't read, is talking about relationships, the closest relationships we have in our life. Our marriage relationship, talking about children obeying our parents, talking about employers and employees. Those three relationships we probably spend... 90% of our time during a given week. And I would say they're probably the three most important relationships. We also have, of course, the relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ. And back in those days, they would spend more time together, in a sense, in a community of fellowship from day to day as they would work together. Most of us don't work one with another. We go out in the, the workforce, and we come here, and we fellowship one with, with another. And these relationships are also extremely important. And Jesus referred to that relationship when he says, if you go to the altar and you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and make right with him. 
It's not just talking about brother as in your your sibling, but brethren. That those relationships are very important. In that, if our horizontal relationships, one with another... In fact, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter talks about husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, if our relationship with our spouse is at odds, the Scripture says our prayers will not be as effective. Another sort of clue that we get that these horizontal relationships have an impact on our vertical relationship with God. And why we're commanded by the Apostle Paul in Romans to, as much as lies within us, to live peaceably with all men. That it shouldn't be on our account. Because this will sap our passion. It will drain our ability to be able to be effective in whatever ministry that God has called us to. But also, if we continue in verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 3, where one of the things that really uh, stirs up our passion is living out our purpose. Living out our purpose. God has designed us for a reason. He has given us life for a reason. He has created us in the unique image. In that sense, we're made in the image of God, but we're unique from the perspective that there is no one else like you that's on this planet. That unique composition of personality, of skill sets that you have. But God didn't give us that so that we just sit on the sidelines and be a spectator of life. He has given that to us to be able to use to his glory. And when we find our purpose, when we're living out our purpose, as the Apostle Paul was, when we, we get a glimpse of, of this, where he's asking for their prayers, for those in, uh, in Colossae, the church there, he's asking, please pray for me, that God would open up a door of utterance, that he would, he would make it available Basically, give an opportunity, provide opportunities to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I make it manifest as I ought to speak. This was his purpose, and he understood it, and he was passionate for it, because he was living out that purpose. We will never reach the degree of passion Unless we too live out our purpose. There is not one person in this room that does not have a purpose. That does not have a ministry that God had in mind when he created you. The question is, how interested are you in understanding what that ministry is? Before we can have any ministry, we need to submit our lives to him, recognize that we are in need of salvation, that we are in need of of the redemption that he provides through Christ. And if you're wondering, what is my purpose in life, and you haven't made that step, that's the first step. You must take that step, otherwise you will never be able to 
fully understand your purpose. You will never fully uh, grasp the magnitude of what God wants to do in your life. But when you have done that, when you have submitted your life to God, that's just the beginning. God has an entire lifetime of ministry that he wants you to have. And so I'm going to ask my brother, my sister, what is your ministry? or What are your ministries? And if you're struggling to know, well, mm, I don't really have a ministry. I don't have an official position in church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking, ministry is not just an official position in the body of Christ, in what we would say the church fellowship here. Ministry takes place seven days a week. Most of it outside of these four walls. There's ministry at your work. There's people that God has placed in your life to be able to talk to, to befriend, to come alongside as they're going through a difficult time, to provide some encouragement to walk alongside them. There are um, all kinds of things to be done for the kingdom. And if you don't know your unique personality or your your unique gifts, there are ways to find that out. There are fantastic um, surveys that you can fill out in 30, 40 questions to really understand what is my nature, what are my natural inclinations. And when you understand that and you begin to pray and ask God to open up doors of ministry, just like the Apostle Paul said, praying that uh, that the door of utterance or, or, or an opportunity presents itself, suddenly you will become aware of new things you've never seen before. And you begin to be able to live out your purpose. And you will find that it stokes your passion. It's fuel to the fire of your passion. And I love to see, especially as young People in their teens, and their 20s, begin to understand how God has uniquely made them and start working in their area of strength and become passionate how it fuels additional passion. And suddenly the zest for life becomes very apparent. And that needn't stop when we are teens and 20s. That fire ought to be burning all the way to our last breath that we have. Yes, the specifics will change. But that life of purpose ought never to change. And the last thing that we read together here in in the verses we have, as it talks about, actually verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may may know how you ought to answer every man. That in itself is a ministry that every single one of us has. How much? Have we taken that to heart? How much are we praying for the opportunity to share Christ with others that are around us? And it says in verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. You see, he was using his talent. He was ministering to the Apostle Paul and those that were with him, but he was also ministering to those in Colossae. He was going to go there to tell them of, of the Apostle Paul's affairs and teach them and minister to them. And he was using his talent. And when we use our talent, we too will find that it fuels our passion. 
That's where we need to start. We don't, we don't start with, okay, I'm going to wait till my passion bank account, my battery, passion battery is totally full and recharged. Then I'll be able to go out and serve the Lord. But it's, it's kind of at halfway right now and I got to wait a little bit longer. That's not how it works. Passion fuels passion. You need to start. We have to start where we are today and take one step in a sense, uh, taking the, Taking God at his word when he says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. It's a step-by-step process. And as we begin to live out our purpose, as we begin to use our talent, as we pray for opportunities, we will notice that passion builds on passion. And if we ensure that our horizontal relationships, as much as we can, are intact... Or we strive to live in that way that we have, um, we are not easily offended. We're quick to forgive. When we live in that way, we will find that as, uh, as we were exhorted in the 23rd verse, that whatsoever we do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men begins to happen naturally. It just begins to happen as natural as if you would walk down the aisle or walk to wherever you need to go to your destination. You're not really even thinking about it anymore because once you get to that momentum, it begins begins to be normal and you begin to experience the blessings that God has originally intended for us to experience when we're operating in that mode. Amen.